Welcome to Evolve to Succeed, the podcast that brings together entrepreneurs, founders, business leaders, and experts to talk about their journeys and explore the link between personal and business success. I'm your host, Juan Munson, founder of Evolve, a coaching, training, and development company focused on enabling business and personal success and creating a community of like-minded individuals. Whether that be through our peer groups, one-to-one coaching, our training and development programs for you and your teams, or through our content and events, our mission is to get the best out of each individual and inspire them to be better both in life and in business. If you want to learn more about Evolve, including our beautiful co-working space in Ashley Cross in Paul, then please go to evolvemembers.com where you'll find great content, insights, details of all of our services, and also information on our forthcoming events. For now, though, let's get on with the show. Welcome to this week's episode. I'm talking to Georgina Felshi, co-founder and COO of Tailwind Games, a video game development studio working within the Roblox metaverse that has raised more than $4 million since its creation in 2021. As you'll see, Gina approaches everything she does with great energy, passion, and shows an incredible wisdom, desire for success, maturity, given her relatively young age, and probably was why she was therefore recognized as one of Forbes 30 under 30 in 2022. Amongst other things, you'll hear how Gina transitioned to tech from a career in costume design, what she's learned from her experience of angel and venture capital funding, her people-centered principles at Tailwind Games, what it's like running the company with her life partner, Mike, how she gets the best out creatives, and why she chose Bournemouth as Tailwind's base. So much covered. I hope you enjoy the lively conversation. Welcome, Gina, to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited about our conversation today. We're going to talk about the business that you co-founded, Tailwind Games. We're going to talk about how you've raised money in both uh, business angel and venture capital funding. So we're going to talk about that. We're mm-hmm. going to talk about what you think the future of technology is in the gaming world. Ooh. There's so much <laughs> Big, to cover. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so I think for our listeners, we should start and let them know a little bit about your story, about you know when the business was founded, um, how it came to be founded, and a little bit of your story today, if possible. Yeah, sure. So um, my background's been quite um, diverse in terms of I'm, I, I've always been quite industry agnostic because um, I've never really kind of found a place. It wasn't until I found games that I, I realised that was the kind of industry that I found my home in. Um, so I actually studied um, costume for TV, theatre and film. Okay, um, slightly different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, massively different. Um, I suppose still creative. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and did some really cool projects. I, I did Strictly Come Dancing and X Factor, all those kind of big TV shows. But um, uh, And then moved into retail, um, trying to still kind of pursue that creative um, industry. Um, and it wasn't until I met Mike um, when he was working at King that I realised, oh, this is like a really cool... This is a really cool industry, the games industry. I've played, I've played games. I've, I've called myself a gamer, yeah. but never really realised it was an industry that I could work in. Okay, which was amazing. And I think all that the thread that's kind of drawn me through all of those different um, industries has been my kind of passion for facilitating and nurturing creative people. Okay, so those are the kind of roles that I've always adopted, um, and. The role I found myself in games was as was typically an operational role, supporting either the leadership or designers, and just kind of alleviating all of like the you know the really boring operation work. Um, 
and uh, kind of yeah, facilitating the creative process. Yeah. Um, so letting the creative play and create, I suppose. Yeah. But the beauty of, um, I mean, I'll, I'll jump ahead a little bit, but then we'll come back. But the beauty of founding my own studio is now I'm able to kind of dabble back into that creative process. Okay. So um, I, I kind of let myself have a bit more free reign. Um, so yeah, um, when I met Mike, was like, wow, this industry is amazing. How come I didn't know about it before? I think the industry's always had um, quite a high barrier to entry. Um, so it wasn't until we met someone from Gumtree when we were buying something, we were buying an Apple TV and he worked at Rovio that we were, uh, that he was like, oh, we've got a role open. Why don't you apply for that? So I did, wow. got the role. So indipity. I know, yeah, became operations manager of um, Rovio, um, their new London studio. They were makers of Angry Birds. Um, and then that's how I got in. Wow. <laughs> so how many years were you in the gaming sector before you and Mike started? So I think it was, I think I'd only been in the industry for, I say only, but I don't know, but um, about three and a half, four years. Okay. But Mike, um, at that point, he was he was like 15 plus years because he, he started from the ground up. So he'd gone through like the QA tester through to design and became like his own design consultant company. Um, and then at the end of 2020, we were both, we'd both been made redundant. Um, and all through kind of our kind of time together, we'd wanted to build something for ourselves. That's good. One of the questions I normally ask, and you know, do you think you were always destined to run your own business and do your own thing? And would Mike say the same? Um, I feel like if I t- if, if you'd asked me that question five or like even like five years ago, I probably would have said like, no, no. Who am I? Why would to I be, do that? <laughs> who am I to be running a business? What do I know? But I think I'd been made redundant in the industry twice. Um, and I think part of it was like, oh, do you know what? If I'm going to get made redundant again, <laughs> I at least like a little bit of control over it. Um, and the opportunity that uh, of Roblox was just too, it felt too good for us to miss. Yeah. And to we felt like we had the perfect expertise to really kind of grasp that opportunity. And just for the listeners again, for those that don't perhaps understand the gaming industry mm-hmm. in the same way, what's so special about Roblox that's given you this opportunity to do what you're doing? Yeah, sure. So um, Mike and I collectively have worked across different um, kind of platforms and genres. So um, uh, I, I kind of like, there's lots of kind of categories. So that your typical, you know, console game that you'd play on a PlayStation, we classify those as AAA because they're the most expensive, most time extensive and resource extensive games to make they're probably not what a startup could probably like you know invest their time into um, and then you've got the mobile mobile games industry which has exploded over the last 10 years with the accessibility of the uh, of mobile um, devices um, and then this new space has started to uh, kind of um, rear its amazing head um which is uh metaverse which everyone's probably going to roll their eyes because of you know meta branding it and even i roll my eyes now but um it's 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 been around for a while but i think with the um the pandemic and people feeling isolated and wanting that kind of social connection but you know getting a bit tired of zoom um metaverse gaming has really kind of solidified itself in and, and justified itself there. So Roblox is um, how I would describe like the n- Netflix for games. Okay, it's, so it's the platform on which you build the games and the games are promoted. Yeah, and it looks very much like Netflix. If you if you sign on, you could, it's, it's a really low barrier to entry. It does it. It takes two seconds. Uh, two, well, don't quote me on that, but like it doesn't take very long to create an account, yeah. and then you're in and you can play with your friends 
they've made multiplayer online super seamless and super accessible. So anyone on any kind of range of device, tablet, Xbox, and I think they're looking to bring it into more consoles, can play across play with their friends no matter what device you're on. Wow. So that was what's really exciting. That's breaking to down us. barriers, isn't it? It is, yeah. And I think what really excited us in 2020 was that no one else was really taking it that seriously in terms of Roblox inherently was a UGC platform, so a user-generated content platform, which means they were encouraging their own players to create content for the games. So then they were inviting their friends back in. They've Roblox have got their own um, engine. Um, so developers can develop in Roblox and then release experiences and games on the platform. So super seamless. But there weren't any, um, at that point, like bigger studios or people with kind of other industry experience coming in. And I'll say it in brackets, professionalized, because I think some of the developers on there are absolutely incredible. Yeah. Um, but in a more, it, when you reflect on it in, in comparison to the wider games industry, professionalize the experience um, or just the pro professionalize the development process okay. of it. Yeah. Because traditionally it's been one or two developers in their uh, spare time, bedrooms, making these games. Okay, and that obviously in late, and you will come on to what you've achieved in such a short period of time, but in late 2020, when you formed the business, it was always to be something different from just being a small development house, was it? Was there always this plan to scale as quickly as you've scaled? I think that, so I don't think when we started, we were like, right, we're going to build this this big studio. I think... Um, when you take on equity investment, and especially at that stage, um, or in that kind of economic climate, the um, kind of underlying message is grow, 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 because yeah, you've you got, no you got to chase you this made the decision, wave. Yeah. yeah, chase this wave. People, once you kind of get on that valuation, equity, fundraising wagon, it's almost like you're kind of get swept up with that wave and it's yeah. kind of quite hard to... Um, uh, kind of settle down. So I think um, we've learned a lot from that wave. Um, and I yeah. think at this point now we've kind of settled, we're, we've kind of settled at a place where we're comfortable within the business again and we know exactly what we need to achieve. Brilliant. And we should talk about this fundraising that you've done because you've undertaken two fundraisers, one angel, yeah. one VC, in total raised $4.2 million. Yes. Um, what... Where was there a moment where you and Mike looked at each other and went, right, we're going to go for funding. What are we going to do? How are we going to do it? And and how did the process start? And what have your experiences been? Quite a big question there, Gina. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a great question. I'll try and tackle it. So um, when we were when we first sat down, uh, so there's four of us who founded the studio, but um, me and Mike are kind of the execs. We've got a tech director and art director who um, we brought along from a previous studio um, and they're kind of fundamental in our game making processes and we kind of shield them from the fundraising um, as much as we can. Um, so when we kind of sat down, we figured that in order to, we were like, what do we need to do to kind of achieve what we want to do on this platform with the expertise we have? And uh, none of us had the appetite nor you know the funding to mm. be able to self-fund we just come off of the roblox accelerator program so they'd given us a grant which was great so we kind of had already had our t we already had our prototype we we're like we really believe in this let's kind of shop it around let's see what people think of it um and 
I think we, I think someone, Mike updated his LinkedIn just to say like, you know, CEO and co-founder of Tailwind and someone who, who'd been watching his career for a while reached out and was like, hey, I just started a, a games, uh, a games syndicate, a games fund syndicate. Um, and we'd like to kind of pitch you to these guys. Wow. <laughs> um, and he's great. He's, well, he's actually one, he was one of the first angels to kind of bring it up, uh, like commit um, a ticket. Um, and that kind of made us realize, actually, no, we're ready. We've got, we've got yeah. the team. We, we kind of spent a lot of time finessing the pitch and the, the deck. And we, I think our parents and our friends and family were so fed up of hearing what our business <laughs> was at that point that we kind of had to put it in front of investors um, to see what happened. And I think we were riding the, met- the metaverse wave okay. of hype. Right place, point. right time, yes. right ideas experienced team by the mm. sound of it as well yeah all came together yeah i think we definitely benefited from that hype but um also i'm not gonna sell ourselves short like no, we, we were great at that we were, we were really great we, we, we have we have a great team and we have still got a great vision and we still believe that we're perfectly placed to achieve some really great things on the platform um so yeah we um that was so yeah as soon as we had one angel um he then introduced us to some of the other angels on our hit list, or we actually managed to reach out to some through like mutual connections. Warm intros are, I'll, I'll bandy these around, this around <laughs> until I'm blue in the face, but unfortunately still it's like, it, warm intros are kind of gold dust yeah. for raising money because it kind of makes sense. And it's like someone's far more likely to take a call from someone who's recommended that person yeah. because they get so inundated with cold it's outreach trusting isn't it, it we is, trust yeah. people and people buy sort of people buy people and people look at opportunities because they trust the person that's mm. passing it to them and and an angel has less kind of resource for deal flow than a vc does yeah. so they do rely on those warm intros yeah. so i would anyone listening who is fundraising right now i'd highly recommend like if you can get warm intros and they do sort of hunting packs don't they They do yeah as soon as you get one that's that validation there and it makes it a hell of a lot easier to yeah to connect with their connections and make things happen and just sell it and just pitch as well because they're they at that point they're probably 30 percent already in and you're just kind of pushing them over to that yeah Yeah, and i've heard you describe it before it's a bit of a you you call it a sales job don't you really Mm. you become a salesperson you have to take off your day-to-day role and actually get out there and yeah sell, sell, sell the business sell the opportunity yeah i think as soon as you kind of if you're at the stage of the business be like well we need to take in some sort of funding be it equity be it debt be it mm. kind of grant um your role as a founder does become a salesman yeah um, i think you can decide what that role of a salesman is and how you portray yourself as that salesman. absolutely yeah. i don't think that you have to you know don the suit don the tie no be cold be corporate i think you can decide what version of yourself becomes yeah. that salesman. And I think, as you said, people buy people and people like doing business with people. Yeah. You're selling your passion and your vision. If you can yeah. get that person on board with that, like be be that super nerd, be that super yeah. passionate person. Uh, and I think you're far more likely to have more success. Yeah, and I often talk about people that start the business, whether it needs funding or not, you know, they you start a business with focus, passion and belief, don't mm. you? And I think if you're going... So you need that, in my opinion, to start a business. Otherwise, you're just kind of meandering along on this journey, not knowing where you're going. But if you've got focus, passion and belief, and then when you go for funding, that's what the, that's what the, the equity providers want to see, don't they? Yeah. 
they want to see that you've still got that you know what it is you know your direction of travel because also they understand that building a business and growing a business and just you know running a business is tough mm. and those three pillars sometimes on like your darkest days are the one things the main thing that keep you going right yeah. so you need to have like a strong reserve of those yeah, to kind of go through that journey absolutely so you obviously raised some of the was it one raise or was it you know is it a combination of angel and vc at the same time or did you raise the angel funding that got some momentum and then you went for the vc funding how did that all transpire mm, yeah so it was two it was two stages we did our we, we completed our angel raise um spring 2021 okay quite quick from starting the business really then. quick wow. yeah i think um because we managed to get our prototype out really quickly that's just that that's the beauty of roblox development as well yeah. is um that you can develop things quite quickly because one the audience are far more forgiving on yeah. quality because they're kids they just want to have fun and goof around yeah. they're not looking for polished processes and polished games um we were able to shop that around quickly um and we were just i think we were just really lucky with um who we got introduced to um then we noticed that we uh that the investment trends were riding that metaverse hype and what what it's better to get capital while capital's flowing. Yes. <laughs> so that's why we followed on. We didn't follow on. I think we started our seed fundraising uh, in August and then closed it in December of 2021. Wow. Okay. So yeah, from founding the business kind of towards the end of 2020 to the end of 2021, we'd raised 4.2 million, right. um, which was great. Uh, it meant that, um, you know, when, when the economy... <laughs> did start turning it meant we did have some reserves um and we were able to pivot enough to make sure the business kind of survives these really tough times so you can stretch that funding and make sure that you can deploy it in a way that makes the business sustainable yeah and what has been your sort of biggest challenges you've faced in the last well yeah sort of three three years Mm. i think it's learning that like we said like investment trends are fickle yeah <laughs> and that no one like no no i think that for example the the metaverse hype investment trends last about a year um and we i think we were so bought into we were quite bought into this equity um fundraising wave that um we were looking to do um another raise beginning of this year but by that point one yeah the economy had turned and the metaverse wasn't as hyped up as it used to be and it was harder um and i think if i'd known that if we'd known that before um even like last summer before we were starting chasing money i think we would have made some different decisions in the business i don't think we would have grown as fast i think we would have been a bit more sustainable with our growth because we have had to cut back um, with our team at beginning of this year just to be able to survive. Which is a tough thing, isn't it? It's really hard. And they were incredible, they're incredible people too. Mm. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's really hard. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's not an easy thing because it's humans, isn't it? It's human beings and you brought people in and that's the thing. Yeah. And we've always built this business like as a, with a people first focus. So having to, um, then having to then cut jobs felt like it was kind of uh it felt it kind of it felt like it went against my core yeah. values um but at the end of the day when you take on equity investment it's not your money no. <laughs> true isn't it yeah 
and you kind of have to have this uh, kind of hardened approach to yeah. running that business at that point. And ultimately, all these people, the people, people that we did have to let go, um, have found all incredible jobs, which yeah. is great. It's good. <laughs> it's the bits you need to watch out for, isn't it? Definitely. Yeah. And what sets Tailwind apart then from other games studios you know we talked about Roblox Mm -hmm. but there must be other Roblox studios now out there you know first to market must be one of your advantages that you had or Mm -hmm. relatively quick to market but what sets you apart do you think from other game studios um that's a good one I think our USP on Roblox is the way we run our studio okay um we are still very people first we run a four-day work week, for example, Okay. Um, which our team love, we love, um, which that's kind of... It's, it's, and as founders, do you still do four days? Mm. <laughs> oh, okay. Maybe four and a half, <laughs> on average. But it's better than the normal five It's different, and a half though, because I think as a founder, it's harder to switch off and it's it your is, baby, yeah. right? It's 24-7, really, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, but um, it definitely does when you're, uh, you know, feeling like a little bit of burnout. You're like, oh, do you know what? I can work a four-day week. But it's, 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 it's all down to that people-centric, kind of Mm. um approach that we're going to look after our team as much as we can um our like we for a startup we're quite operationally focused in terms of how we um support our team how we run our processes um and i think in in this climate especially with a startup as well like retention of staff is key Mm. we've actually had um like really we've just got really great engagement because of that because um, we let our team have a lot of autonomy about, about over the kind of creative process, um, which is something we've only really recently, um, well, since January when we did a strategy pivot, we kind of let our team have more freedom with the games and they've been churning out some incredible stuff. Okay. Um, so, which is kind of hard as founders to kind of, it feels, it feels kind of um, counterproductive to almost like relinquish the reins. But I think it was more important for Mike and I to, establish what our overarching strategy was get the team's buy-in for them them to go and do what we hired them to do best <laughs> um, and then we're able to just kind of guide them at key points and they've just been producing amazing stuff so i think Brilliant. yeah that's our, our usp is like we we ca- sounds really kind of like obvious like what every studio cares about is people but yeah. i think we actively do it's interesting isn't it because it's a but it sounds like you're doing all of the things the four-day week and everything a lot of businesses say they care about their people don't they but Mm. sometimes it is just it's just words yeah i think for us as well in comparison to some of the other founders that we talk to we trust our team a lot more with the information that mike and i as founders Mm. get for example um uh mike was at a conference last week and uh, there was uh, another founder who was chatting to said that oh no I would never tell my team our runway and we were like why not like we want our team to feel, mm-hmm. if you want to get your team's trust and buy in then you, we, we, we want to we, we're trusting with that information if they decide actually I'm out at this point yeah. this is too risky then we're then that's just they're not right for the business at that point no. I would never want to blindside or kind of withhold information that could affect other people in the long run yeah and it's that engagement piece isn't it yeah. people are getting the start of that journey to get people engaged to tell them and share your vision mm. your values where you're going you know what, what the direction because, of travel is and, yeah. and people need to buy into that and if they don't buy into it mm. 
they need to self-opt out or you need to manage them out. And great ideas come from anywhere, right? So if we give them the information of what the challenges our business is is facing um, and how we're trying to solve it, if they've got an idea, then we're more than welcome to hear it. Like Disney used to bring in every single member of staff in to review their films, right? Like even like... I, like some of like the um, janitorial staff would come in and I think that was how um, some of like I think it's how Finding Nemo kind of came about because that's like some of the really some of the feedback yeah and I think I really believe in that but if we but I think with that you need to give them equip them with the right information yeah. first and the right data to be able to make those decisions yeah. if we, we don't I would never just go right guys you've got you know six months runway left because they don't know what to do with that information, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, definitely. And I I, I suppose that that's it, isn't it? Is, and in terms of your role and how do you split? Because, you know, you and Mike are life partners as well. Yeah. How do you, and I'm always intrigued by that, you know, people start businesses with their other halves Mm -hmm. and the journey they go on together, um, you know, and how do you split responsibilities between you? And do you, you know, any hints and tips on people that are thinking of starting a business with their other half or are in business with <laughs> their other half and how you've made it work? Yeah, of course. So I think from the get-go, mine and Mike's expertise have been quite different anyway. So it's, it's enabled us to kind of take... Like, there was never a squabble over, you know, like, who's going to be CEO and who's going to be what because... Because your skill sets were so defined Yeah, from and it makes sense for someone who's got 15 plus years experience in game design to be leading a company that is designing games. Yeah. I have no ego over that. Like, I know where my expertise lies. I think that our backgrounds kind of d- dictated our roles. It doesn't ever mean that I could never be a role like that. But I think at that point, we knew exactly what our investors were going to look for. Yeah. Um, we wrote ourselves job descriptions uh, and we hold, hold ourselves accountable to those. We review them every quarter. Like It's very strange uh, <laughs> sitting down with your your, your partner and it's doing very like grown a up, quarterly review. But you kind of have to have that kind of uh, distinction and cleanliness between... Yeah yourselves as working colleagues and then yourselves as kind of I'm not saying that it's always that way like we do have arguments about stuff and sometimes we're like no we should this is about work we need to actually be you know Mike and Gina outside of Tailwind because otherwise it just becomes too blurry but um, I think having um, set spaces because we work from home too so we've got like my my work stays within my office his work stays within his office and if we want to talk about something we'll, about work we'll go into that office at least there's that room distinction so you've got too. boundaries that yeah. you've created to make it work yeah because I think it was beginning of this year where the boundaries are so blurred it just felt like we were losing kind of our identities and that ident- and our identities were what fueled our passion for this yeah. business anyway so um, but I, I don't think I could build a business with anyone else it's the um just we, we just move so fast because we're always yeah and it doesn't sound very healthy now but like we're always together which means that we're able to just chat about things and we're able to have those really honest conversations um and be really frank with each other and know that it comes from a place of you know well well-meaning yeah. and and it sounds kind of cheesy, but like like care and love, right? We, we, I... Nothing cheesy about care and love, is there? <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry, it's really cheesy. I love my partner. <laughs> um, but I think if I'd... Um, starting it with someone maybe who I don't only worked with for a couple of years, I think you, there's still that kind of ramp-up time yeah, to you, really... 
trust the, that yeah, I suppose person. at the speed you had to do it within the gaming industry yeah you you had to have that point of trust and that understanding very quickly and, re- and strong relationship don't mm-hmm. you? i mean in a lot of other industries you get that you might start a business with one or two other you know people and you co-found and you don't normally need to raise money as quickly yeah. in other industries as you do in yours. Mm-hmm. So you build those relationships over time, don't you? You make them work. And yeah. then you go, right, we're going to scale now. Let's go get debt, get equity, get grants, get whatever funding we need to scale. But that couldn't have worked in your industry, could you? So your strength in probably part of your success must come down to that strength of relationship. Yeah, and the speed in which we can make decisions as yeah. well. And um, I think for the last well no for the last first two years of the business mike and i were trying to protect our other co-founders from kind of the other parts of the business mm-hmm. that they don't we because we, we wanted them to focus on the games but we actually started integrating them into the process and the conversations the beginning of this year and it's actually been incredible because it means that mike and i have other people we can talk to about things who understand our business that we as we do and are able to kind of give us different perspectives on that so I would definitely say that um just trust people a bit more even if like there's some educational ramp up on that it's really valuable to have more diverse thoughts and thinking because you know Mike and I probably at this point think the same (laughs) yeah that's that's true and has that diversity increased in terms of thinking ideas with bringing you know you've talked really openly and positively about the angels and Mm -hmm. you know that they are from the gaming industry um you know they've been sort of tracking stalking mike (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) and kind of them were there to support him when needed so there must be a strong relationship there and i'm sure you get support and advice Mm -hmm. what about you know because people are sometimes nervous about private equity vcs Mm -hmm. as owner managed businesses that it's you know it is a kind of corporate entity coming in and investing it's going to change culture it's going to change all these yeah. things and it doesn't bring many benefits with it and i think that's quite an old-fashioned view now mm-hmm. so interestingly have you seen the vc bring more than just cash to the table yeah i think so i think any advice i'd, I'd give to anyone looking to uh obtain vc funding is to if you've got the luxury obviously in this market maybe not so but um shop is shop around um people are people and i th- i think like like you said i think vcs have have had to change with the market and with mm. like you know the new kind of uh founder makeup and what fa- founders value these days yeah there's um, a generational shift isn't there going on yeah, yeah and it is it is in at ta- this point kind of shifts but at the time at which we were raising founders had a lot more kind of saying power than vcs did so we were we we were able to turn people down who we who we didn't vibe with or who we thought didn't bring as much to the table as someone else did and we're really happy with our lead investor um we don't do i think anyone who gets particularly scared by you know like i think people think that when they bring on a vc it everything becomes more formal yeah. like you have to do board meetings and minutes and that kind of we don't we don't do that we just have like a we have a fortnightly catch up with them okay. and it's really informal so they they've just brought their own governance their own way of governing kind of and changing but yeah. not really formal and corporate yeah 
Because I think at the end of the day, like they just want to make sure that they're doing right by you because yeah. they then have to go and report to their LPs how their portfolios are doing. And ruling by an iron fist is probably not going to be the best way <laughs> to get their return on investment quicker, right? No, and in, and in the creative sector in particular, which is you know different. I suppose all sectors are different. And I suppose that kind of leads on to you. You talk about you know one of your strengths has been to understand over the years to understand the creatives. You know, and get the best out of them by mm-hmm. supporting them. So, you know, and there's lots of businesses out there. You know, even you know firms of advisors. You know, um, that do hire creatives in this day and age because it's needed within every yeah. business. So, have you got two, three tips that you'd say are good tips or how to approach managing the creatives within <laughs> the business? Yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> I think you have to kind of allow time to just I think I think I always just take it as like a people centric approach right like it's it's yes people's thinking might be different but at the end of the day your goals are still the same but your processes don't have to be I think people who kind of stick to like oh we've laid out this process you have to follow it. that's not gonna that's not gonna work for everyone that's not just either creative people no. it could be people with like you know neurotypical thinking or neurodiversity and um so and we've had we've got um quite a lot of neurodiverse people within the team and we've had to change the way in which we work especially working from home um we've had to really think about what's the best way of communicating and i think it's just making sure that you're agile enough to be able to get the best out of people um if you've got quite a high turnover of creative people the problem probably isn't the creatives (laughs) it's probably your processes um and your ability to make sure that you're kind of creating a space for them obviously i know that um uh you know, business is business and we still go <laughs> and there's only so much like resource we can invest into that but I, th- I would definitely say that um you know flexibility is key and okay. communication styles adapting being able to adapt yeah. to different Treat people as individuals styles. i suppose and yeah. you know, understand their needs and that as you say applies across the board doesn't it yeah, yeah and we have people who for example don't want to turn on their webcam and that's fine it it, it might feel a bit weird at first but they don't need to show their face to do good work right like some people um want different working patterns and that's fine if as long as they for us it's like right here are the core hours as long as you get your work done within that time we're not gonna try and say well no we think you're most productive nine till five Mm. if someone's not if someone if that's not someone's productivity time then just allow that flexibility perfect brilliant we should probably talk a little bit more about the technology in the metaverse um and so you know we talked about you specializing in in the metaverse gaming world Mm -hmm. you know how do you envisage i suppose the evolution of that metaverse world in the next i was going to say five to ten but that's probably too long a period that's a big crystal ball (laughs) tomorrow (laughs) (laughs) how do you see the metaverse applying more into the way in which we do things um in the next three years Mm -hmm. That's a great question. Um, I think there's um, a lot of kind of visions for what uh, the, I don't like to, I I call it the metaverse because it's easier, but it's more like there's metaverse spaces because I think the way I see it, uh, you know, the way the world is, (laughs) for for everything to become truly decentralized, then no one can own it. And that's just not, you know, capitalism. (laughs) That's that's not going to work like that. And I think there's a lot of, 
like metaverse purists who were like, it's got to be ready player one or nothing. Or if I'm not hooked up mm. to a rig and I um, not immersed in it through like virtual reality, then that's not a metaverse. But the way I see it is it's uh, like different flavors of metaverse spaces for people, for different communities to come together, similar to how people come together now, but in more interactive ways. So for example, take a Discord community, maybe that becomes more, uh, maybe Discord integrate more kind of 3D interactive spaces. Mm -hmm. Maybe um, a Reddit community becomes more kind of engaged um, in a a more 3D space. I think that's the way I see it. I don't necessarily believe that the metaverse has to incorporate um, like things like VR, for example. I okay. still think that VR has quite a high barrier to entry, whereas I think the metaverse needs to be as accessible as possible. Accessible to all. Yes, yeah. And that's what, and that, that's part of the reason why we love Roblox is because someone with a beat-up iPhone 6 can still play Roblox. Yeah, so they can still participate. They can still yeah. be part of that community. Yeah. And what do you think some of the dangers, you know, because I come out of an AI conversation oh, here. Goodness, but, yeah. but, you know, in terms of the metaverse, there must be some hesitancy or dangers or things that you think could, you know, disrupt. Mm-hmm. And, and where do you see those risks in terms of the metaverse? Yeah, um, I mean, it's definitely about, like, regulation and, and moderation of these spaces. I mean, if you're allowing millions and millions of people to interact on a daily basis i mean it's the internet right like <laughs> i think since the day the internet was born there's been yeah. problematic content but obviously when you're then allowing users who may not understand um, problematic content that's when you need to be you need to you know have more um investment in moderation and i think um Roblox doesn't always get it right, but they're definitely they've definitely got a really great moderation team, and they definitely really care about their users. Um, and I, I think that as they're trying to age up, the big risk for them is how do they maintain their core uh, player base and how do they keep them safe yeah. whilst they're trying to encourage older users. Um, and uh, you know, the kind of the some of the age groups that they're targeting may not be engaging in like as wholesome content yeah. <laughs> as found on Roblox. I think it's about it's kind very of... tactfully put. <laughs> <laughs> um I think it's it's about safety for yeah. youths coming in to youths, I sound like around eighty. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but the younger generation coming in are they're definitely a lot more savvy than yeah. we are on online, but sometimes maybe not as savvy in terms of trust because maybe they're a bit too trusting online. Okay. And so it's that moderation piece, and I suppose that's the piece where you trust in Roblox to mm. do the thing. You put your games on there. Well, and also developers can like we've been we've been reporting content that we see on there as well. So as a as a kind of a community driven platform, yeah. the community has to also be engaged with that moderation. To, yeah, self kind of administer the self. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Moderate as well. Yeah. And in terms of where you see future tech, you know, we talked about the metaverse, and the metaverse mm-hmm. is, I suppose is this wide big scope. It's a big big kind of thing in itself but you know where you, where you sit down with your fellow founders and you talk about the future of tailwind do you are you looking at other technology other things that are happening yeah and what are. you know what does that look like for mm. you and tailwind yeah no we don't we are we're investigating um for example the Fortnite creative engine at the moment which is really exciting because that could open up a whole new uh, not just revenue stream, but also like player base to and and kind of different gameplay feel um, to Tailwind. Um, that's really exciting because it's 
again, another platform which has really reduced the barrier to entry for studios. So I think it's going to allow like pl- like platforms like Roblox, like Fortnite. Um, and I know that Lego are currently working on something which is really cool with Epic. I think they announced that um, a couple of years ago. Um, just... I think I, I've always, I'm always about accessibility and really lowering that barrier for developers to come in because there's like these, there's these massive game studios out there that have all of the funding in the world. But I think the people that create the most disruption are the, the, you know, the small four people, four to 20 people teams who yeah. are able to move far more, ag- like uh, move with agility and disrupt the space. And I think the um, more platforms enable creators to play with their tools um that's going to happen and i think it's also going to be incredible because it's going to allow like more more people who um who may not have had access to game development before to create content to get into the industry yeah that? because there's such a diversity problem in the industry um it, it skews heavily male and it, it skews heavily educated uh, like highly educated um in terms of like university um okay. degree as well so there's still quite a high barrier to entry to the games industry even though we've got i think like i can't i can't remember the figure now but we've got a lot of jobs open and we can't fill them mm. so there's like this disconnect between education uh, uh and the industry and i feel like it's definitely the way if we reduce if we make game making more accessible like roblox has like i know 17 year olds who have bypassed university we've hired some of them who've bypassed university and gone straight into education uh, gone straight into business right and is it, it's really interesting is it do you, do you think cause i mean you know i don't know the figures but i do you do hear them quoted and the uk you know game the gaming industry in the uk is a big employer isn't it you know? so the game industry as a whole the whole across the whole world um is twice the size of the film tv and entertainment industry combined no yeah what scary everyone that? plays games though don't they yeah, that's like true. even like puzzle games like i know some purists out there would be like no unless it's yeah. halo it's not a game but like puzzle games every like everyone plays games and most people have a, at least one game downloaded on their mobile yeah definitely <laughs> even if it's tetris exactly <laughs> so yeah it's huge yeah wow and it is huge for the uk and do, but do you think there's a disconnect between the importance of the industry then and therefore what's happening in the educational sector. Well, I think it still gets a lot of bad rep, doesn't it? I okay. think a lot of parents, for example, and, and quite rightly, because if all you see is your kid looking at a screen and you're like, it's a beautiful day out there, go outside go play. and play. Yeah. But not maybe understanding that they are gaining some skills from that game, like, you know, coordination, mm. um, teamwork, like kind of, you know, that uh, game design. That's the kind of metaverse piece coming yeah, in, isn't it? Yeah, so there more... are, impo- and I think as long, I think it's that connect and education piece between kind of where jobs are going to, because yeah. um, I read somewhere that, um, again, I, I probably should have, brought way more facts but <laughs> it's that in the future like i think it's like 50 percent of roles are going to be online scary or use it? some sort of like you know yeah. so development yeah. yeah so you have to be digitally savvy definitely definitely and but you should go outside too because the sun is nice <laughs> it's a beautiful day yeah. out there now we're sat inside <laughs> let's finish the podcast and go outside um but i suppose that that's that piece isn't it and i suppose that leads me on to, to ask you you know Neither Michael, you were from Bournemouth, you know, Mm -hmm. I suppose to our local listeners, just to ask you the question, you know, why did you choose Bournemouth to set up Tailwind? 
Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so location-wise, it was. Uh, I, I've always grown up on. I've grown up on the south coast. Um, I'm from Portsmouth. Um, Mike's parents were settled in Swanage. Um, so we were we were looking for somewhere along the south coast. We wanted it to be like a vibrant, thriving like town. It's not a city, is it? Yeah, but <laughs> yeah. one day, <laughs> one day. Um, and we've hired people that have graduated from Bournemouth University. That's got a great university program, especially games and arts. Um, and it's just great. I mean, the beach is beautiful. I think Bournemouth has got so much potential that I love living here and I can see it like like improving day by day and the amount of people that I've met down here who are building some really incredible things. Like I feel so, I feel more part of a community than I, in Bournemouth than I did in London. Wow. So, so yeah, and then you're know, obviously not within the creative sector, but you hear these great things about the Bournemouth creative sector mm. and there is a great vibe about it and it is collaborative and all of those kind of things. Um, you've found that to be true. Yes. Yeah, I love it. I've, I've, when I first came down, I was like, how do I make friends? And then someone brought me to uh, a, a talk. I was on a panel and then suddenly I'm, I'm in. Yeah. And it, it's everyone's so friendly and I'm just so inspired by what everyone's creating Brilliant. and making and building. And it's great. <laughs> Fantastic. Fantastic. We've had quite a diverse conversation, <laughs> um, but probably, you know, a typical podcast question. I probably should ask, you know, given where you, the, the success you've had in the short period of time, you know, where do you see, you know, where do you hope to see Tailwind in three to five years time? We want to be the number one metaverse gaming creator. That's what we want to be. Wow. So yeah, big, hairy, audacious goal that we yeah. stick on our uh, vision boards. But yeah, that's where we see ourselves going. Brilliant. Fantastic. And I always end with this particular question. You know, we talk about success. We talk about everything in terms of the business. But, you know, what's your own personal definition of success, Gina? Oh, I think I think it probably changes day to day. But I think my own personal success, like the definition of success is just really enjoying and believing in what I do. I think I have a strong I, I, I hold myself quite strongly to like my actions and what I'm putting out there and what I'm investing my time into so I really need to believe in it so I think having that kind of balance between um uh enjoying what I do and feeling there's some sort of value in like to myself and to the community and to the world that's success to me brilliant what a great definition if people want to learn more about you connect with you learn more about Tailwind where can they go they can go to uh, the website, which is www.tellwind.co.uk, or you can hit me up on LinkedIn. Brilliant. Thank you, Gina. It's been great. I've really enjoyed our conversation. I've learned some stuff during the course of the last 40 minutes or so, and it's been great just to hear more about your story. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. My hope with every episode is that you've learned something new or heard something that challenged your way of thinking and further motivated you on your path towards becoming a more knowledgeable, informed and inspired individual and business leader. If you enjoyed this episode, then please help us by rating, reviewing and subscribing. We really value your feedback and would love to have you along for future episodes. And please don't forget to learn more about Evolve by going to evolvemembers.com. Thank you for listening. See you next week.